Well, praise the Lord. This is Apostle Baldwin, and we're welcoming you to another Man Talk for Men broadcast. And we're looking forward to getting back into the Word of God again today as we continue to study on We Have Not Many Fathers. And I am looking forward to sharing with you some more of what God has for us as fathers. I want to let you know that we live in a world that is a supernatural world full of evil. And therefore, fathers are very important in the lives of their children. And so we need to understand because the Bible teaches us that we need fathers. Now, not only do we need fathers as far as natural fathers are concerned, but we also need fathers as far as spiritual fathers are concerned. And what is happening is we're, we're having a lack of fatherhood in both the church and in the house. And so we're going to get back into the word of God and see what does the Lord say to us today as we're talking about we have not many fathers. Let's pray and get right into it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, your presence and your anointing and your glory. Let this word manifest itself in our midst and in our lives and let us walk in this power. Let us walk in this revelation for truly we need to hear from you, Lord. So as we approach the word, Lord, teach us your truth. Teach us your revelation. Teach us your power. Let the Holy Spirit, who is our great teacher, minister to the men that are listening to this so that we as men can be transformed into the true sons of God that you have called us to be. So we give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, praise God. We want to talk about being fathers and we have not many fathers. Well, let's go and talk about another role that a father has. A father is a governor. A father is a governor. And as a governor, the father sets rules and guidelines for his son's behavior. He teaches and trains and disciplines him. And he thus ushers him to live by these guidelines. Now, it is very important for you and I to understand that God has called us as governors and we are to govern the lives of our sons and our daughters. And in the church world as fathers, we are to govern the lives of those that are mentored by us so that they can follow the example that we're giving them as we disciple them and bring them into the living covenant that they have with God since they've been born again. So let's see what the word of God has to say to us as to what entails you and I becoming a governor how does God allow that word of being a governor to manifest itself in our lives how do we do that well the book of James chapter 4 tells us exactly what God wants us to do so let's go to the book of James and we're going to look at chapter 4 and we're going to spend some time in this today and find out what it is as a governor and a father that I am to do in James chapter four, verse seven, let's take a look at what the word says. And the word says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. What a powerful revelation from God. He gives us instructions as to how we're going to be prepared as governors for our sons. He shows us what we as fathers have to do. So this here, what God is sharing to us is his instruction for you and I to make us qualified to be a governor in the life of our child. Now, let's go back and see what again the governor does as far as being a governor in the life of our child. A father as a governor will set the rules and the guidelines for his son's behavior. Now, you can't set rules and guidelines for your son's behavior unless you're following the same rules and the same guidelines. 
The word says he teaches and trains and disciplines him, thus ushering him to live by these guidelines. So we're supposed to teach our sons, train our sons and discipline them so that we can cause them to live by the guidelines that have been set before them. And the guidelines is the word of God. So now when we go back to James chapter four, we look at the word again and let's see how we as men are supposed to be prepared to in, invest in our sons. But the first thing that you have to do, if you're going to invest in your son, the first thing you got to do is invest in yourself and be able to live the word that you're supposed to be teaching and preaching. And this is where we as fathers have been falling off because we have not been living what we are supposed to be teaching. And therefore our sons and our daughters don't get the, the kind of instruction and the kind of living example of what we are supposed to be doing. And that's why we have rebellion for our children. Now I know all things being equal. There are times when we are as fathers doing what we're supposed to do and children will rebel because they give into the sin nature, but we have a significant role that we can play in order to bring that child to a place where they can overcome their sin nature. And this is what God is trying to share with us. Now, the first thing he says here in verse seven, he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now, here's a problem that we as men have is submitting to God because you cannot notice what it says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But you cannot resist the devil and make him flee from you until you first submit yourself to God. So the word submit there, it's the word hupotasso. And it comes from two words, hupo meaning under and tasso meaning to place in order or to place in order under someone in an orderly fashion. And so we must understand we are subjugating ourselves to a higher authority. Now that higher authority happens to be God. And so God is saying for us to place ourselves in order under God's authority. That's what he wants you and I to do. And as we do that, then we will walk in that revelation of the authority that God wants us to have. See what is, is, is so uh, uh, interesting in the world is that men have a problem submitting to a higher authority. And the reason why is because there is so much pressure on men to be leaders, pressure on men to be overcomers, pressure on men to be successful, that many times you as a man can feel so much pressure on you to be a performing uh, actor that brings everything into being because it seems like everybody's depending on you, or at least that's how it seems. That's not how it always is, but sometimes it is. But as a man, as the leadership role that God has given us and as a provider role that God has given us, many times men feel that responsibility. And therefore, when they feel that they have to submit themselves or to humble themselves under another authority, they feel like they're losing power and they feel like they're losing their authority. But you have to understand who the Bible says you ought to submit to. You ought to submit yourselves unto God. God is the creator of heaven and earth, the possessor of heaven and earth, and he has given you life. Now, when you yield under his authority, you're not losing anything because he's going to give you the same authority that you are submitting to. When you submit to God, then he will release his authority into your life and cause you to be able to walk in a supernatural manifestation of the revelation of his power. This is what God wants to do with you. And this is what he wants to do with me. So we must yield ourselves to the authority of God by submitting unto him. Now, I want you to understand the reason why authority and submission is given. And a lot of times people think that the reason why uh, they, they, they have a problem in submitting to authority is because they believe that submitting to an authority means that you're less than who you're submitting to. And in essence, what it is actually talking about is that the authority goes by the ranks of 
power and the ranks of responsibility. To, so to whom more has responsibility been given, they will have more authority. Therefore, it is not meaning that any person that is submitting to a higher authority is any less than that person. It just means that they have a higher ranking and they have more responsibility. And then you submitting to them under your ranking and your responsibility. And then somebody may be submitting up under you under their uh, ranking and their responsibility. So it doesn't go by uh, who is better or not. It just goes by your position in the group and the, your uh, and your your submission in the army for say. So uh, when we look at generals and captains and sergeants and lieutenants and majors, we understand that a general is no greater than a major and a major is no greater than a private. Uh, not as far as importance is concerned, they are the same, but their roles are different. So they have to operate in a higher responsibility of the role. That's why you see the, the private submitting to uh, the, the corporal and the corporal to the sergeant and the sergeant uh, to the major or however that is working in the military force. And it is not that the people are more important. It's just that they have a higher ranking, which means they have more responsibility and they have to do more. And so that's all this is saying so when the bible says submit yourself unto god his it's, it's saying you bring yourself under the authority of god so that what god then releases into you will be what he has called you to do and the ability to do it and to perform it now if you got it now if you get an understanding of that look at what it's saying when you submit to god and you yield to god what God is going to do is give you the authority to do what we found out as a governor. He will give you the authority to set the rules and the guidelines for your son's behavior and your daughter's behavior. He will teach. He will give you the authority to teach and to train and to discipline your children so that you can usher them to live by the guidelines that God has given you the authority to teach. So you understand now, whenever God commands us to do something, he also empowers us and gives us the right to act. And so what we need to understand as fathers and as men, when you are submitting to God, you are actually yielding to the power creator and the power source of your life. And whatever God has called you to do as a father, he will anoint you and he will he will gift you and he will he will teach you and train you so that you can turn around, teach and train someone else. All right, let's get back into this and see what else it says. So we understand this is how you and I must submit ourselves to God. We have to yield to his authority. Now, the word says, and this is interesting here because we need to see something. And this is powerful here. It says, resist the devil. Now, notice it said resist the devil. It didn't say resist God. And it didn't say resist people. It said resist the devil. So he says, now we are to resist the devil. All right, well, let's talk about this. The word resist is the word antistemi coming from anti meaning against and also from histemi meaning to stand. So the Bible is saying stand against or resist. Now, when you're standing against something or resisting something, you're either going to resist it in deed, in action or in word, in what you say. So God is saying now that you ought to resist the devil in deed and in action or in deed and in your words you ought to come against the devil and that word means to forbid and to hinder and to withstand so God is saying that what he wants you to do is he wants you to stand against the devil he wants you to forbid him and hinder him and the way that he wants you to do that is to do it by deed or by how you act and also by words or what you say so if in fact oh listen to what i'm saying brothers right now because i'm here i'm sharing with you some real powerful truths here that if you listen to god and obey god he's going to give you the ability to resist satan to withstand him to hold him back 
and to staunch everything that the devil does. And God is going to give you that ability to do that. And he's going to give you that ability to do that in two separate realms. He's going to give you the ability to resist, withstand and to hinder and to stop the devil by how you act. So you're, there's some actions that you can do. Come on, brothers, and listen to what I'm saying. There are some actions that you can do that God is going to release into you so that you can perform these actions and cause the devil to flee from you. There also is another resisting that you can do with the devil, and it is through your words so that you also can resist the devil by what you say. You can hinder the devil and stop the devil by what you say. So now you have the ability to command and to defeat. You have the command ability out of your mouth and you have the defeat ability out of your actions so that you can bind up the devil and also physically resist the devil so that he will flee from you. This is powerful. This is so powerful because now understand something. The devil, listen to what I'm saying, is not a person. The devil is not a thought. The devil is an angel, a fallen angel, an evil angel, a wicked angel. And because he is an angel, he is a spirit. So understand now when God says, submit yourself unto God, God is a spirit. According to John 4, 24, God is a spirit. Now, so when you submit to God, now you need to understand you are a spirit as well because you're created in the image and likeness of God. So when you submit to God, when God begins to release unto you the ability to govern your sons and daughters and to rule and to train and to teach them, he is giving you spiritual ability. He is giving you spiritual power, spiritual authority, spiritual anointing. Because notice now the devil is a spirit. Now you in your physical body can do nothing with the devil. If the devil was to appear before you as a spirit being, you could draw your fist back and you could swing and you could swing to hit the devil in the mouth and your hand would just go right through him because he's a spirit being and you can't really contact him in the physical realm. Therefore, God has given you supernatural spiritual ability to withstand the devil in deed, in what you do and in word in what you say. Now, your words are spirit forces. Now, here is how it happens. And this is how you resist the devil. You do it in the spirit realm. You open your physical mouth. Come on, somebody, and listen to what I'm saying. And you release out of your spiritual or your physical mouth spiritual words. Now, the words are the words that carry the power. The words that you speak are the words that carry the authority. So what happens now is when you open your mouth physically, that's the deed that you're doing, and you open your mouth and speak, that's the deed, that's the action that you're doing, then the words that you release, those are the spirit forces that come out of your mouth and they go and they are the ones that hinder the devil. They're the ones that bind up and, and beat the devil and, and hinder him and frustrate the devil and cause the devil to be withstood. Those are the words that come out of your mouth. Your words do that. And they are driving forces and because they are spirit forces, they attack the devil and he feels the pain. Now, you remember what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. The word of God is sharp, sharper than any two edged sword. It pierces. So now notice what happens in uh, what the Bible talks about when he talks about the word of God. He's actually saying to you, that, listen to what the word is saying now, that the, the words that come out of your mouth are like swords. The Bible calls the, the word of God the sword of the spirit. And as the sword of the spirit, the word comes out of your mouth and it comes out of your mouth cutting. And so when you speak and you 
you resist the devil by opening up your mouth in words and speaking words, you are, you are actually releasing swords into Satan and those swords are cutting him and those swords are piercing him and they're causing him pain and they're causing him torment. And when you do that, the devil will back off because you're speaking the word of God. And so that's why you got to submit to God. Why do you have to submit to God? Because when you submit to God, then God gives you the words and the authority in your words to be able to pierce the devil and cut the devil and hurt the devil because he's a spirit being. And because God has empowered your words, which are spirit spiritual forces, they will then attack Satan and bring damage to him. Now, here's the problem. When you don't submit to God, then God does not release into you those anointed words. So the words that you speak to the devil don't touch the devil. They don't harm the devil. Even though they are spiritual forces, they have no spiritual power. They have no spiritual authority. And therefore the devil would take those words that you speak and slap you upside the head with your own words. This is what happened to the seven sons of Sceva. You remember the seven sons of Sceva. What happened was they went to cast out demons in a man who was possessed with demons and they came and they said we adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches now they weren't submitted to God because if they had been submitted to God they would have said we adjure you by Jesus whom we preach but because they weren't submitted to God they weren't identifying with God therefore the words that they spoke had no power over those demons now I'm going to show you how because the demons rose up in the man and said Jesus I know Paul, I know I have, I have experience with Paul. I have experience with Jesus. And I know that when they say something to me, I have to obey them because they got power. But he said, but who are you? I don't know you. I don't have any experience with you. Your words don't do anything to me. And the Bible says that man leapt on all seven of those other men and beat them and stripped them of their clothes and bruised them and beat them and wounded them. And the men ran away naked, wounded and bruised. You see what happens now. If you don't submit to God, your words carry no power. But when you submit to God, then the words that you speak carry supernatural power. They have the ability to override anything that the devil is doing to hinder, withstand and stop anything that the devil is doing. This is why it is important for you and I to submit to God as a man. Now, understand this. You are fighting a spiritual battle. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 down through verse 18, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so we need to understand we are wrestling against Satan's kingdom. And these are all spiritual forces. And therefore, if you're going to effectively defeat the devil, who is our enemy, you're going to have to do it in the spirit realm. And you can only do it in the spirit realm. When you submit yourself to God, then God gives you authority to physically open your mouth and speak the words that are spiritual forces that God has given you that have the ability and the power to resist the devil. And unless you are doing that, then you have no power over the devil. You'll have no power over your sons and daughters, and you'll have no power to stop the devil from influencing them. I, I hope you're getting something out of this, because if you're not, I am. All right, now look at this. Now let's go back to this. So he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He says, resist the devil. And that word resist means to stand against him, like we said, in word and in deed. You remember that? All right, now, now I want to share something with you because how do you resist him in word and deed? What does it mean to resist the devil? And how do we actually resist the devil? All right, now let's take a look. I'm going to take you to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. And let's see what the word says here to show you and me how to resist the devil. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, 
knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So the way that you and I resist the devil is that we have to resist him steadfast in the faith, in the faith. Now in the faith means in the word of God, in the commandments of God, in the revealed word of God's truth. It means the truth, the truth of God's word. So in order for you to resist the devil in the faith, you have to be in the truth. Now you got to know the word in order to stand in the word and to resist the devil in the truth, because how can you resist him in the word? If you don't know what the word says as a father, another responsibility as a governor that you have is you must study the word of God. The Bible says study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You as a father have got to study God's word so that you can know God's word word so that you can then resist the devil with God's word, because that's what it means in the faith. It means in the faith and it, in, it means in the belief of the word of God steadfast. It means to be firm and to be solid and to be persuaded and to be uh, exercised in, in, in strength and in power so that you are so firmly rooted and grounded in the word that you trust the word. You believe the word. It becomes your reality, it becomes your truth. So now that you have become anchored and fully persuaded that the word of God is truth and that the word of God is the way that you and I are supposed to go. Therefore, when you resist the devil, you are so anchored in the word that your resistance becomes supernatural and powerful. What in essence happens is the devil now, when he begins to try to see who he can devour and he begins to try to attack you, but because you are so anchored in the word and you're so full of the word that his attacks don't affect you. You know that they're coming from him, but you know that you have the ability to override anything that the devil does. Therefore, when he comes to attack you or when he comes to attack me as a father to try to get us off of doing the word, because we're so anchored in God's word. We know God's word. We study God's word. We have submitted ourselves to God. We're yielding to God. God has empowered us. Then the power that we have and the position that we have in God is much greater than Satan's authority. And therefore, when he comes against us, we're able to override him and exercise authority over him. And therefore, we're able to stand in the faith. So that means that in the faith is the word of God that tells you your authority. The Bible tells you that the devil is under your feet. The Bible tells you that you have authority over the devil, that he has to flee from you because you can resist the devil. And the way that you resist the devil again is in the faith. Y'all remember that? Okay, let's go back to uh, first Timothy. I mean, James, I'm sorry. Chapter four again back in James chapter four. So now we understand how we're going to come against the devil. We're going to submit ourselves to the Lord and we're going to stand against the devil and we're going to be anchored in the word of God. And when you're anchored in God's word, when you're anchored in God's truth, then there's nothing that the devil can do against you because the very word that you're standing in is the word that he has no authority against. Now watch this. It says resist the devil. And then it says he will flee from you. Now that word flee means to run or to move hastily from danger or fear. What, what to escape danger and to escape punishment, to flee, to avoid and, and shun danger and punishment. So other words, when you use faith, Listen to what I'm saying. When you use faith to resist Satan or stand against him in your words and in your deeds, your faith, because you're resisting him in the faith, brings fear and it brings terror to the devil, causing him to run and to move hastily 
away from you because of the fear and to escape the punishment and the, the danger. Now, what does that mean? What is the devil so terrified of when a submitted man unto God opens his mouth and resists the devil in the faith? What causes Satan to become terrified of the danger, to become terrified that he has to run and escape punishment? It is the word of God. Remember what I told you, the word is sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces. And so what happens is when you speak the word and you resist the devil with the word, that word cuts the devil and chops the devil and it pierces him and it causes him pain and suffering and it causes him to, to back off of you. It causes him to be terrified of you because nothing is coming out of your mouth but the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and the word of God. The Bible also said the word of God is like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. So you have to understand the devil is getting beat with a hammer and he's getting stuck and stabbed with a sword and it's causing him pain and danger. Now, let me give you an example of what, how Satan and his kingdom fear the word of God, because you have to understand that they are terrified of God's word. They're terrified of Jesus. Jesus is the manifestation of the word of God. Jesus was going to a city. He was in a boat and he had stopped off and got off the boat and it was in, in the, uh, the land of Gadara. And so they were in Gadara and he had got off and he was walking. And as he was walking, he passed a cemetery. In the cemetery, there was a man who was demon possessed. This man was possessed by so many demons that it, it had given him, they had given him supernatural physical strength and power. He, he lived in the cemetery. The Bible said he would walk around in the cemetery and he would be crying and cutting himself with stones. So he would cut himself. So he was doing self mutilation. But notice now he was in the cemetery cutting himself with stones. But notice now even though he was cutting himself with stones, he did not get sick of an infection or anything of that nature, even though he was walking around cutting himself because these demons were exercising so much power in his body that they were resisting the infection because, you know, infection comes from sin anyway. And they were allowing him to mutilate his body without him destroying his body. And the reason why they didn't want his body destroyed was because they were living in him and doing this. So when the people, People came, the Bible said they would bind him with chains and fetters and he would break them. And so there was no way that they could actually bind him up. That's how powerful this man was. He was able to break chains and leather straps and fetters uh, tied around his body and he would just snap them. And he lived like this and he was in torment like this. So when Jesus this day, uh, once he gets off the boat and he's walking by the man in the cemetery sees Jesus and the demons that are in the man that are possessing the man, they see Jesus. And what the demons do is something interesting. They saw Jesus who is God, who is walking in authority and power. And when they saw Jesus, the Bible said they ran, he ran to Jesus and he fell and worshiped him. Now notice what the demons do. This man who is possessed of demons and the demons run and they fall. They're driving this man to run and fall and worship Jesus. And so what the, the demon said unto him to Jesus was, what have we to do with thee, Jesus? Have thou come to torment us before the time? So the demons know that there's a time, listen to what I'm saying. There's a time in the future when the demons know that Jesus is going to torment them. And that torment means to inflict pain, to inflict punishment, to inflict judgment so much so that it terrifies the demons. And they were so terrified of Jesus that they drove this man to fall down at Jesus's feet and worship Jesus. See, I'm telling you when you got the power, That'll make the devil even come to worship. And that's what the devil did because he didn't want to be jacked up by the power. They thought that Jesus was going to torment them before the, the, the allotted time that the demons know that they're going to all be cast into the lake of fire. 
But they thought Jesus might gonna come and, and torment them even before then. This is the power that Jesus has, and this is the power that you as a man have, and that you as a father have. When you yield yourself to God, you have that ability to walk in this authority that God has given us. Now, you're gonna have to renew your mind. You're gonna have to study the word. You're gonna have to change the way you think. I'm gonna have to do the same thing in order for us to see ourselves that way. That's why we gotta stay in the word and study. The Bible said study uh, to show thyself approved. You study to teach yourself that God has approved you, that God has anointed you. See, as you study the word, you'll learn this. So now the demons have come to Jesus and they're begging him. Uh, they're worshiping him. And so then Jesus said, what is thy name? And then the, the demon said, we are legion for we are many. Now, the, the, the word term legion in the Bible back in the days of Jesus represented anywhere. Uh, a Roman legion uh, represented anywhere from three to six thousand soldiers. Can you imagine that this man has three to six thousand demons in him? That's why this man was so powerful and they were snapping chains and, and fetters. And, and, and there was nothing that the people could do to, to hold him down and to withstand him. So now they said, uh, uh, we, we are many. And, and they said, uh, uh, please don't cast us out. He said, can you just let us go into the herd of swine? Because there was a herd of swine that I guess people that were uh, herding the swine uh, were up on a mountain and uh, up on that mountain where they were. And they were herding the swine and they had over 2000 swine. The demon said, uh, let us go into the herd of swine. They didn't even want Jesus to cast them out. Now, why didn't they want Jesus to cast them out of this man? Because how does Jesus cast out demons with his word? And so he said, so the demon said, we don't want to because see, if, if we get cast out, that word is going to cut us. It's going to rip us apart. The hammer's going to pound us and beat us. We're going to be hurting and we're going to be cut and we're going to be in pain. That's how the word ejects us out of this man. So, Lord, don't 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 cast us out. Let us please give us permission to just go into that herd of swine. And so Jesus said, go. And so they left the man and they left the man. And when they left him, they went and entered into the herd of swine. Over 2000 herd of swine, these 6000 demons that were or three to 6000 demons that were in the man. Now, notice the demons that were in one man went and inhabited 2000 swine. Oh, my God. Do you see how many demons this man had? And do you see how 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 our physical bodies can be inhabited by so many spirits that there were enough uh, spirits in the man to cause the man's uh, when they come out of him to go in and inhabit 2000 swine. When they got into the swine, the demon, because they were so in fear, they ran through with the swine and they ran down the mountain, down the steep mountain, and they ran into the water and they drowned the swine. And therefore they were, they thought they had gotten away with from Jesus, but they even ran the, the herd down and ran into the water because of their terror from Jesus. Now we need to understand this is the kind of power that causes the devil to flee. He sees this power. He understands this power. He recognizes this power and he understands that if you as a man would ever get your mind uh, uh, renewed to the fact that God has anointed you with the power of God and the authority of God, then Satan would be terrified of you. He would fear you to no end and you would be able to exercise the ability to resist them when he's walking about and seeking if he can devour your children. If he's walking around seeking if he can devour your your, your life and, and the things that you are doing in your life to take care of your family. Once he, he, he tries to get to you, see he's seeking whom he de may devour. That means he doesn't know who he can devour until he tests them. Now when he he tests somebody that's under your authority. Come on and listen to what I'm saying. What is he going to get on the test? He's going to get some swords and some hammers. That's what he's going to get. He's going to get a hammered and he's going to get cut. And once he gets that, he'll know that he has no authority in your house and he's going to run and he's going to leave and he's going to get out of there as quick, fast and in a hurry because he's in danger and he's in pain. 
This is what God says you can happen. The devil will flee from you. Are y'all getting this? Come on and listen to what God is saying. I hope I'm I hope you're getting this word. Now, notice what the word says. Then after he flees, he says, notice, he says, draw nigh to God. Draw near unto God and he, God, will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see what he's saying here? He's saying draw nigh to God. That means he wants you, in order for you to submit to God, you got to draw nigh to God. And that means to bring yourself near to God and to come to God and approach God. And it means to draw near to him. Now, how do you draw near to God? By yielding to what God tells you to do, coming to God and drawing nigh to God through prayer, drawing nigh to God through allowing God to teach you and train you and to listen to you so that you can become his servant. You draw nigh to God when you accept God into your life through the blood, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. You draw nigh to God when you yield your body as members of God's uh, authority. What do I mean by that? By drawing nigh to God. That's when you, as according to Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, submit yourselves therefore unto God. And, and, and it says, resist the devil. Now the Bible says that how you submit yourself unto God in Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, the Bible says that you submit your bodies as a a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says, be not conformed to this world. Stop thinking like the world thinks and be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is how you yield to the spirit of God. This is what God wants you to do. So you draw nigh to God as you yield to God, as you submit to God's word, as you yield to his teaching and allow yourself to study the word so that you can show yourself that you have been approved unto God and you are closing in on God. You're getting close to God. You draw nigh to God when you worship God and, and you praise God. You draw nigh to God when you pray to God and when you're seeking his face. You draw nigh to God when you obey his word and you yield yourself to his will and his authority. You draw nigh to God when you are being led by the Holy Spirit and you listen to what the Spirit tells you and you go what the Spirit tells you to go and you do what the spirit tells you to do. You allow the Holy Spirit to change the way you think so that you can think the way God wants you to think. That's what is called renewing your mind. When you do those things, the Bible said, then God will draw nigh unto you. That means God will get so close to you. He's already living inside of you that he'll begin to burst forth out of you and glory will begin to come out of you and authority and anointings and gifts and power and work words of, of grace and, and might will come out of you in such a way that the devil will be a terror will be terrified of you he will be afraid of you because he knows that you're packing power you are a power machine. You have become a living vessel of the body of Jesus. And the very fact that when he sees you, he sees Jesus. And every time he sees you walking in that submission to God, you are just as much powerful over him as Jesus is. And he could do nothing with Jesus. He won't be able to do anything with you. This is how God see we're talking about becoming a governor. See, a governor is one that rules. A governor is one that has authority. A governor is one that has dominion and reign. This is what you have when you yield your body to God. He makes you a governor as a father. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? All right, now let's get back into this. He says now, he says, uh, cleanse your hands, you sinner. He says, wash yourself. That means to cleanse yourself from filth. And it means mostly to cleanse yourself from a moral filth. So that means that you have the ability to stop being carnal and, and foul and dirty and nasty in the natural realm and your morals will be clean up. And so this is what God is saying, clean up your morals. So you yield to God, use the power to cause your body to stop being morally 
against the things of God. Your morals will change. The way you act, the way you live will change. That's what it means to cleanse your hands. All right. That's what how, that's how you cleanse your hands. And then it says to purify. Notice what it, now it says cleanse your hands. But it says purify your hearts. Now, your hearts are it, it's 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 it means to sanctify your heart and to make your heart clean. It means to separate your heart from all evil. Now, watch this now. This word cleanse and purify. The word cleanse means an outward cleansing. It means like washing the hands. But the word purify means an inward cleansing, which means that there has to be a sanctification and a purification to take place in your heart, in your spirit. That word is when God is allowed to come into you and to purify you and you yield to God so that he can cleanse your heart and move all of the evil and all of the wicked and break down everything that is evil in you. Because remember now, we were born in sin and in iniquity did our mothers conceive us. And we have to also understand this. Listen to what I'm saying right now, because this is going to be a blessing to you. Because we were born in sin, we have a sin nature. It is the propensity and the ability to know evil, to love evil, and to produce evil. That's what Adam and Eve got when they transgressed God's law. And that nature is on the inside of us and it is it has and it lives inside of us and it has a passion and a desire to do the wickedness and the evil that it is through your body and so therefore you're always getting these urges to do wicked you're always getting these urges to be morally wrong you're always getting these urges to do something that is not right with God and so what happens is God has when your heart gets purified he releases authority and power and might and strength on the inside of you for you to override those urges and those passions and those desires because the spirit of God is on the inside of you. And every time your, your sin nature or the, what we call the flesh rises up and has a passionate desire for you to do something evil or wicked, the spirit of God, because your heart has been purified, rises up and says, no, 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 you're not giving into that. You're not going to make his body do that. I break your power down right now. I, I, I resist you. I withstand you. And therefore the sin nature's power is destroyed and broken so that you don't have to yield to its dictates like you used to yield to it before you got born again. So, you cleanse your hands. And so you're washing your hands. You're, you're clean, clean on the outside, the things that you can do morally to cleanse yourself. But then the spirit of God does the purification on the inside of you that only the spirit of God can do. And once you're, 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 you're doing the moral things, you're, you're obeying God, you're living right. And then God is keeping your heart clean. Then you're walking in the power of God. All y'all getting what I'm saying? saying here he says be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy into heaviness now this is what this affliction this mourning and weeping and letting our laughter be turned to mourning and, and our joy into heaviness this is what causes us to then submit to God. This is what causes us to yield to God because we feel bad because we're not living the way God wants us to live. And this is what causes us to draw nigh to God so that he can cleanse us. And then by cleansing us and purifying us, then we can do the outward work and then live the way morally he wants us to live. See, but the way, the reason why we're able to do that is because we're mourning and we're being afflicted. And, 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 and so we're letting our happiness turn into sorrow. Why? because we're not satisfied. We're not happy with being evil. We're not happy with being bad. We don't want to be disobedient to God. And so we mourn over that and our mourning over that, our repentance, that is what this is actually talking about. When you're repentant, it gives you a, a heart of repentance. You're, you're suffering and it's attacks that are coming upon you and you don't like it. You don't, you don't want to be like that. A lot of times people don't want to do wrong, but they don't know how to get out from under it. So even though they, they don't want to do wrong, they still do it even though they don't want to. And the reason why is because they've been driven by their sin nature. But God says, when you're going through these tests and when you're going through these trials and when you're going through these emotions and these feelings, allow those emotions and feelings instead of driving you 
you to obey that spirit, allow those to make you feel bad and to come to God and to draw nigh to God and then submit yourself to God and then resist the devil in the faith. Then you will exercise authority and power over the devil. This is how God wants you to do. So you need to understand in order to submit to God, there's going to have to be some submitting and there's going to have to be some some some, some repentance of sin. And there's going to have to be a, a sadness and a sorrow for not living the way God wants us to live. When you live like that, then God will be able to bless you. Let's get back and see again what he's saying here. Then he says, watch this now, humble yourselves, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Now, this is all coming in response to you being a governor of your children. He wants you to humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And, and that, that word humble, it means to bring low. It makes yourself low. It brings. And now when it says bring low, it doesn't mean like crawling on the ground, like some, 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 some insignificant uh, uh, bug or something, but it means to bring yourself low under the authority of God's word. You yield your will over to God and you decide to act according to how God determines that you should act. Now, that is what we talk about humility. It is an idea of having contrition and penitence toward God is because you know what God's word says and you know what you're not doing. So what you actually end up doing is you bring yourself up under the authority of the word. Remember, submit, bring yourself up under the authority of the word. If the word says thou shalt not covet, then don't covet. If the word says thou shalt not uh, murder, then don't murder. Whatever the word says you should not do, then you submit yourselves by yielding yourself and coming up under what the word says so that the word can direct your actions. I want you to understand something about humility, because when the word when we talk about and a lot of times people think about the, the word humility being uh, to make low. But it means to bring yourself low up under the authority of God's word. Now, God's word is the highest authority in creation. So even when you're coming low under the word, that doesn't mean that you're dragging the ground like a bug. It means you're high up in the realms of the authority of God, but you're just low up under the word of God because that's what's giving you the ability to live the way God wants you to live. And so what happens now? Humility is this humility is not saying, oh, I just don't know. I just don't know. I can't make it. I don't know. Y'all know I, I just trying to do my best and I, I love the Lord, but I'm just trying to do my best. And, and, and you're just walking around powerless and, and weak and wimpy and all of that. That's not humility. Humility is the ability to listen now to submit yourself to under the authority of God's word to yield yourself unto the authority of God's word and then act how God's word tells you to act and feel about yourself the way God tells you to feel about yourself. And so what happens now is this humility then is being able to say about yourself and to live about yourself the way that God says you are. And so God says, notice, behold, you are the sons of God. The Bible said, as Jesus is, so are we now in this world. That doesn't sound like some little bug crawling around in the world. It, the, the Bible talks about we have authority and we have power. We have been given the authority of God according to Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You have now been able to receive the power of God to witness to and prove the fact that Jesus raised from the dead. And because he was raised from the dead, you have now have the ability to witness to that and to prove that you have been given that ability. You have been given that power. That is what humility is. It means to submit yourself under the word and the authority of God's word so that you can walk in that glory, walk in that might, walk in that strength and walk in that power. When you do that, then the devil's days are numbered in your life because now he cannot resist you. He cannot 
uh, come against you. He can't make you do what he wants you to do. And when he seeks you and he will come back and try you again to see if you still as steadfast on the word as you were the last time he came. But you will have more the next time because you're growing and you're getting stronger and stronger. And I'm telling you the ability to overcome and to withstand and to to break down the powers of Satan and to break down his ability. That's what God has given you as a governor. And then as a governor, you're able now to live your life the way God wants you to live it. And you can live that life before your children. And then you can teach them and train them and you can bring them into subjection to the word of God. Because when your children see you walking in this kind of authority, I don't care what rapper is out there. I don't care what uh, evil person is out there doing whatever they're doing. When they see you exercising supernatural power and supernatural growth and supernatural ability and wisdom and strength and prosperity and glory and might and grace and the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. Your children will want to follow what you're doing because what you're doing so supersedes what the world is doing that you'll be able to teach and train your children. This is what God wants us to do. Now, what happens is as a parent and as a father, he gives you that ability to bring all of that into the life of your children. And what that does, then it gives your children an advantage because they're able to be taught and trained by one who has been submitted to God. Now, that doesn't make your child uh, absolutely uh, immune from serving the devil. No, but it gives that child an opportunity to make an informed decision of how they can really live. Now, it's still up to that child and it's up to your sons and your daughters to make that decision to live this way. But you can bring them to that place where they can make a, an informed decision. Because remember now, you can't get your children saved. Your children have to give their life to the Lord. You can't get your friends saved. Your friends have to give your, their life to the Lord. You can't get your uh, church members saved. Your church members got to give their life to the Lord because everybody in church ain't saved. Everybody in the pulpit ain't saved. And so you need to understand that. And so what you are to do as a man and a woman of God, and especially as a man of God, when you are yielding to God, he gives you the ability to be a preserver and to be a governor so that you can exercise authority over the life of those that are in your life. And especially those that are your children and those that you are mentoring as spiritual children. You have that authority and that ability so that you can teach by example. This is what Jesus did. You remember Jesus, he would teach his disciples, but then he would go and perform. You remember when he came to the fig tree, the Bible said, and uh, on his way, I said he saw a fig tree afar off having leaves and because Jesus was hungry and it said he came to it. If happily, he might find anything thereon. And when he got to the tree, he found that there was nothing but leaves. And then Jesus gave his disciples a teaching lesson. He gave them a, a, a governing lesson he shared with them. And so then what did he do? Jesus taught them by example how to walk by faith in God. Jesus said unto the tree. Uh, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. He cursed the tree because the tree had leaves. It was supposed to have fruit, but because it didn't produce the fruit when it was supposed to produce the fruit. And when Jesus came to partake of the fruit and it wasn't giving him any fruit, then guess what? Jesus cursed the tree the next day on their way, uh, passing that tree again, Peter saw that tree and he said, master, look how quickly the tree has dried up from the root. It is withered away and it is dried up from the roots. And then Jesus taught them. And the Bible said, Jesus answering them and said, have faith in God. In other words, the same thing that we've just been teaching you tonight, you today, you have got to have faith in God. You've got to have faith in God's word. You have to trust God. God is the one who will back you up. And when you exercise your faith in God, he will anoint you. He will cause you to be blessed. And then he will back up what you say. This is why you've got to have faith in God. You've got to trust that God is 
on your side. You are yielded to him. You are submitted to him and you are his son. I'm telling you, my brothers, when you do that, then you're going to walk in the authority as a governor in the life of your children and also in the lives of those spiritual children that you have. And you're actually going to walk in the authority as a governor in the earth because you're going to begin to walk in the authority of the kingdom of God, ruling and reigning under the authority of God, doing the very works of Jesus, because Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my father. Well, praise God. This is what God has for you and I as men of God, as men of war, we have the authority to be fathers because we have not many fathers, but God has given you and I the ability to operate as governors in the lives of our children so that we can walk in this authority, we can walk in this power, we can walk in this strength, and we can walk in this grace and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has blessed us supremely and superbly and we can be a blessing in the lives of God. Well, I pray this word has been a blessing to you and I pray that this message will encourage you as a man to walk in your authority that God has given you and learn from what God has taught you and trained you so that you can be that example that he wants you to be in this earth and you can live your life the way God wants you to live it. Well, praise God. Be blessed. Be anointed. We'll talk to you next week as we get back into the word of God. And remember, we have not many fathers, but you're going to be one that we do have because you are going to obey the word of God. And remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. He said, behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. God bless you. We'll see you soon in Jesus name. Be blessed and walk in the power of God. See you later.